0: listeners it's sam here again and just the usual shout out for our brilliant sponsors before this week's show paces ahead have courses for the start of 2024 and listeners here's a possible sweetener for you i will be there at their first course of 2024 that's the 16th to the 19th of january please do come along and say hi if you catch me it would be great to meet some of you if you're there but there is also a course the following week from the 20th to the 23rd of January for those of you sitting in the first diet of 2024. Not only that, but they also have courses lined up for May as well, the 20th to the 23rd of May and the 28th to the 31st of May. I highly recommend booking on early to avoid disappointment. They very regularly get oversubscribed. If you can't make a course though, past tests have got you covered with their market leading online revision PACES resource. I think most PACES sitters would agree this is more or less essential to have to complement your ward based preparation. So to get access, just click any of the links in the show notes labeled Pass Test. But enough on that for now, let's get started on this week's episode. Welcome one and all to this episode of the Pre-PACES podcast. I am Dr. Sam Williams and this week I'm doing what Jason Derulo told us all to do back in 2010 and I'm riding solo for this episode where I'll be giving you an insight into what I would have wanted to know when I was in your position and revising for PACES back during my core medical training. Paces is renowned internationally as one of the most daunting medical exams so I really hope some of my pointers here help you in your revision but also give you a bit of perspective about the good, the bad and the ugly of the exam we all know and love as the MRCP Paces. As ever we are always delighted to hear from our listeners and I was particularly pleased this week when our podcast officially went international. A big, big hello to our listeners in India, the United Arab Emirates, and New York. We hope you're enjoying the podcast wherever and however you choose to listen to it, and I am so, so thrilled to bring you this episode where I'll hopefully be giving you some more insights that I've reflected on over time back when I was sitting paces, as well as some gems that I've received throughout my medical career from people who have sat the exam. So hold on to your hats, and let's get into what I learned from sitting paces. Point number one in the lessons that I learned from sitting paces is you may need to change your approach to revision. You can't revise for this exam the same way that you did for the MRCP part one or part two written exams. Now I'm not sure about you, but I basically passed part one and part two by sitting endless online question banks, not to take anything away from anyone who's passed by doing that. But I'm pretty sure you could park anyone including people who aren't doctors in front of a question bank for six months ask them to just continually do questions and eventually they'd probably pass. This exam is a whole different kettle of fish and you'll need to change your approach for what is coming. Changing your approach can mean going in a number of different directions so my first tip for you is don't work hard work smart. You're going to have to revise differently to your written exams where breadth of knowledge was everything Now it's physical examination skills becoming committed to muscle memory in order for you to be able to simultaneously examine a patient, identify the correct signs, determine the likely cause of those signs, and then be immediately ready to prepare your presentation to the examiners, complete with an investigation and management plan. Committing your examination to muscle memory is only possible with practice. There's literally no other way to commit the process to your memory. Examine everyone you can, your friends, your partner, your colleagues, nice patients on the ward, anyone who'll sit still for five minutes, whoever is willing to let you practice your examinations. That is the first step. Make sure you've got every part of the examination process in your brain bank so that when you start any of the examinations, it's like riding a bike and you can just execute the examination essentially on command. The second part of it is presenting. Practicing presenting is in some ways just as important as practicing the examination. You'll be used to presenting patients to your consultants, often in a way which is tailored to whomever you might be post-taking with, but doing it in paces is a very different process. Obviously, you've got less time and you need to score the points, which is mostly going to be found when you present your differential diagnosis, your preferred diagnosis, and your management plan. So make sure that you practice your presentation and you get to these points sooner rather than later. The second thing I learned from sitting paces is is gonna sound like the most obvious thing in the world and I bet you're gonna be screaming into your headphones saying, Sam, that's the most obvious thing you've ever said, but it is true. Identifying the clinical signs relies on you detecting them, which can only be done by actually seeing or listening to the relevant signs. There's no other way of doing it. The first thing I would say is to make sure you can reliably detect the signs. So my advice, if you're just starting out in your PACES revision journey, would be that when you first start your revision or your examination practice, don't worry too much about the timings of the examination. That will come with the practice, but detecting the signs reliably is more important. This is especially relevant if it's something which doesn't come around all that often. So for example, if a colleague or a consultant tells you a patient has a great diastolic murmur of aortic regurgitation, or has evidence of shifting dullness on examination, take your time to correctly elicit these signs so you're able to reliably detect them. Detecting the signs reliably is the first step. Once you've done that, I'm positive you'll be able to detect them just as well during the few seconds that you'll have to listen to someone's heart during the cardiovascular exam. So if you're just starting out, focus on detecting the signs without thinking too much about the ticking clock running away in the background. The third thing I learned from sitting paces is that you need to maximize your exposure to examining the rare signs or patients with rare conditions that are very common in the paces exam. Now there are a few ways of maximizing your exposure. The first of which is very simple. Just see as many patients as you can in the hospital and some of them believe it or not will end up having rare conditions and this can be done with the help of your revision group, with the help of helpful registrars or consultants who kindly act as examiners for you. In some ways This is dependent on the hospital where you are on rotation, but we will talk about that a little bit later. Obviously, there are ways to improve this further. Apart from seeing as many patients as possible whilst you're at work, there are two other ways to maximize your exposure to detecting the rare signs which come up in paces. This is largely either online revision resources, such as video revision courses, or your second option is attending a face-to-face Paces revision course. Now each of these obviously has benefits and drawbacks. The online revision courses are often cheaper than the face-to-face courses but you can revise at a time to suit you from the comfort of your own home without the need to travel or book accommodation if the course isn't run near to where you live and in my view it's also useful if you're right at the start of your Paces revision journey and you want to see an example of how you should examine a patient and also the sorts of things you should include when you're presenting the patient back to the examiner. There's also a very small benefit in seeing how you might answer a small number of examiner questions that are answered on these videos. However, there are some drawbacks. Obviously, you don't actually examine the patients yourself, which means you're not working on the muscle memory we talked about earlier. You're not getting hands-on practice or identifying any of the clinical signs yourself. You're not listening to murmurs or palpating a renal transplant. You're just watching someone else do it. Same goes for the history taking or communication stations. You're seeing someone else take a history where you might structure your own line of questioning quite differently to what is shown in the online videos. Moving on to the face-to-face courses, these clearly have benefits. When you go, you are examining the types of cases you'll see in PACES. You are practicing that muscle memory and you are examining the clinical signs. And sometimes the patients do have rare conditions, which is fantastic. You've probably rarely encountered them before and they've got important, interesting signs that are completely new to you and something you're seeing for the first time, which is obviously a great experience. Another benefit is that the organizers of these courses often get consultants who are PACES examiners to provide feedback on the day. So you're learning firsthand from a real examiner how you can improve your chance of passing and where are your points for development. Now I've heard different things about this, but some people have said it's massively helpful because it mirrors almost exactly what exam conditions are like. But some people found it very difficult, especially if you end up attending a course slightly too early in your revision journey. Maybe you don't perform quite as well as other attendees, which can lead to undue stress and panic at a time when you really don't need any more of that in your life than is absolutely necessary. The other drawback of face-to-face courses which I've heard is that although there are some fantastic patients willing to give up their time to be examined there really is a time pressure from the course organisers that you really don't get as much time to examine these patients as you need in order to reliably detect the signs I talked about earlier. My ultimate advice for you on this will be to do what works for you. Due to COVID there are likely to be difficulties in running face-to-face courses with social distancing guidelines etc. So we will have to watch this space and see how this develops in the weeks and months to come. The fourth thing I learned from sitting paces and this is something you probably didn't realize quite so much during your early years just after graduating during your foundation program. you were probably too busy trying to get male catheters signed off by a nurse but My fourth thing I learned from sitting paces is there are interesting patients all over the hospital, but no one tells you about it until you sit the exams. Now, I know this sounds like I'm teaching grannies to suck eggs, and I know we have mentioned this before on this podcast, but making yourself known to the consultants in each specialty may mean that they actively seek you out to show you the interesting patients on their wards. Try and visit the wards that aren't your own and introduce yourself to the senior team there. Ask for help with Pace's revision. When I was revising, I remember one enthusiastic consultant in particular who came and found me because they had a patient admitted who was a classic case for Pace's, who had a relatively rare condition, and if I hadn't made myself visible to senior members of that team, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to examine that rare condition. You'll be amazed how far consultants will go in helping you if you let them know you need the help to pass your exams. I once got tipped off about a patient that a geriatrician had seen on a surgical ward as a review. The same consultant offered to watch me examine the patient under exam conditions and this really does help replicate some of the stress of the real exam. It might not be nice but this is what you need. By replicating the stress of the exam it'll mean you're less stressed about it when it comes to exam day because it's just the same as the practice you've already had when you've been watched by consultants in your own hospital. You don't realize how many interesting patients are around your hospital until you go out on a limb, go and speak to some of the consultants on other wards that aren't your ward, explain you're sitting your exams, have you got any interesting patients or PACES cases, and you'll be amazed how helpful these guys can be. The fifth thing I learned from sitting PACES is that worrying about your examination centre doesn't help. And thinking about it or preparing specifically for your examination centre won't give you an edge. I am a big advocate of only worrying about things which are within your control. And this is not within your control, so it isn't worth worrying about. If your examination centre is a tertiary centre, it doesn't mean a thing. Let me tell you a story about my first sitting of PACES. It was the day before my revision buddy's exam. I still had a week or so until my exam. He came round to my house in a state. He told me he just found out his centre was a national centre for neurofibromatosis and he hadn't looked at neurofibromatosis as much as he had hoped. At this point, he was stressing about the exam and felt it was almost certain to come up and compromise his chances of passing. Did it come up? I can tell you, listener... It didn't. Just because you're sent to a national center for any given condition, it doesn't mean it's more likely to come up. Equally, very little is gained from sitting in a tertiary center as opposed to a DGH. Ultimately, none of these things are within your control, so what's the use in worrying about it? What's much more productive is what we're moving on to next. So we just talked about how worrying about your examination centre isn't within your control. However, it does work in reverse and making the most of your own hospital is what really counts and is within your control. Preparing for every possible eventuality and what you can control is trying to see as many patients as possible at your own hospital. What I mean is taking advantage of your own hospital specialties. If your hospital has any regional specialty such as renal neurology hematology oncology definitely work that into your revision as you'll become more familiar with things which are less commonly seen on your garden variety medical wards now i know what some of you are thinking i don't work in a tertiary center i work in a small dgh where we don't have any tertiary center specialties what do you suggest i do well let me start by saying i totally empathize with the situation that you may not see some of the more specialist things. But PACES is not all about seeing specialist things. Most district general hospitals will have a Parkinson's clinic. Most DGHs will have a valve clinic or a hepatology clinic. So you'll still have the opportunity to target your revision as well as tick off some of those pesky clinic requirements for your curriculum. However, if there are specific things which you think you might be missing out on which are generally only seen at specialist centers, take for example something rarer like adult congenital heart disease. My advice would be to make contact with that specialist centre. Find a contact for one of the consultant secretaries. Ask them to ask the consultants if you'd mind coming to their clinic or even better, if they could set aside an hour to do some specific PACES teaching for you with that specialty in mind. You would be amazed how kind consultants and keen registrars can be if you show some enthusiasm for their own specialty. The next thing I learned from sitting paces is how to avoid revision burnout. This exam is going to take a minimum of two to four weeks of dedicated revision. Note that I've said a minimum. That being said if someone said to me you've got two weeks until you're sitting paces for me that would mean two weeks of absolutely solid revision and practice purely because at that point I'd be so short on time Just imagine for a moment, you're an elite athlete training to perform at the Olympics. You're not gonna be training at high intensity every day for 12 weeks before the event. All that's going to mean is you're going to go into the event tired, burned out, and ultimately, you're not gonna perform at your best. You're going to want to gradually increase the amount of training you're doing until you peak just before the event, ready to compete. This is exactly the same for how I think you should be preparing for paces. Start your revision practice sessions short and frequent. That way, you don't feel burned out. Each small session you do, you're contributing a small bit of knowledge, a small bit of muscle memory. And that way, over a long period of time, which in reality is going to be something like 12 weeks, I would suggest, for something like Paces, over that period of time, you're contributing very small bits which are overall going to make a massive difference to how you perform on the day. Obviously, everyone will have their own ways of revising that work for them, but if you're not sure how to approach it, this is what I would suggest. Start well in advance, and I would say at least eight to 12 weeks before your exam date. From the start, I would say, make your practice sessions short and less frequent, but over time, gradually increase the length, difficulty, and regularity of your sessions. That way you won't be approaching the exam underprepared, but also importantly, you won't be burned out from revision and all those small, short, frequent little practice sessions will contribute to make a massive difference on exam day. The next thing I learned from sitting paces is that paces in its current format does not resemble your own clinical practice. We'll go through some of the stations one by one and just try and demonstrate what I'm talking about. We'll start with the station five and the brief clinical consultations. How often in your clinical practice is it necessary to take a history, examine the patient, make a diagnosis, explain your management plan in less than eight minutes? If I wanted to do that, I'd have gone into GP training. We know for a fact that this isn't what happens in our clinical practice. Although we would say it's certainly possible in the context of extremely testing circumstances, But realistically, this is not something you do routinely on a day-to-day basis on the medical take, especially with the increasing age and complexity of the many medical patients that are admitted to hospital on a day-to-day basis. Moving on to the examination stations, I'll ask you another question. How often in your clinical practice are you required to tell someone they have a renal transplant or a prosthetic heart valve or a rare medical condition, before you already know that from looking at their medical notes. Now, I'm not saying there isn't value in possessing the skills to accurately identify that someone has a renal transplant or a prosthetic heart valve. And there is certainly value in the knowledge you gain from reading about these patients and the correct ways to manage them when they are admitted to hospital. All I'm saying is what you do in PACEs is not specific to the way you treat these patients in hospital. However, what I would say is The new structure and format of PACES, which will now be implemented in 2022 rather than 2020, is a positive step in the right direction, in my view. The brief clinical consultations are going to be made longer and will, in my view, more closely resemble the usual timescale of seeing a patient on the medical take. Not only that, but the communication stations have been shortened to 10 minutes, which, although it puts you under more pressure in these stations, I think it's important to be able to communicate complicated concepts succinctly within a short space of time and in my view 14 minutes as has been the case for many years is almost too much time and you find yourself finishing the station early and having to spend an agonizing two or three minutes which seems like an eternity sitting in awkward silence with the actor. There's only so many times you can offer the patient a leaflet or ask if they have any questions. Finally paces like lots of tests throughout medical school and beyond is a means to an end. It does not precisely resemble our usual medical practice and it's just one of the many hurdles that we as future consultant physicians have to overcome throughout our medical career to mean that we can progress. Now my ninth thing I learned from sitting PACES is in many ways similar to the last point in that PACES doesn't resemble our own clinical practice. PACES does not assess your ability to act as a medical registrar. There is this fallacy that when you're a core trainee or what is now an internal medical trainee with PACES that you can automatically tick the box to be a medical reg. On paper, rotor coordinators are quicker than anyone to put you on the MedReg rotor once you've passed so you can act up. However, being a MedReg uses so many more skills which are not assessed in PACES leadership, teamwork, filtering appropriate referrals, giving advice over the phone, task management, patient prioritisation, delegating tasks to the rest of the team. These are just a few of the things which aren't assessed in PACES which you will use on a daily basis when you act as a medical reg. Now, and I'm not saying you and the majority of our listeners don't have the skills. I'm sure you do have those skills that you would act as a medical reg competently. And I don't doubt it would be a great opportunity to gain that experience. But I would just be wary about being exploited by the rotor coordinators that just because you have paces, you don't have to jump onto the med reg rotor, And doing that, at a time when you feel you have the experience and will to do that, I would just make sure you do it at a time which is comfortable for you and don't feel like you have to do it just because you've got paces out the way. I know I may have said this before, but consider it similar to your driving test. When you learn to drive, you don't truly learn how to drive. In the same way, in learning to become a med encompasses far more than just passing this examination but you undoubtedly do pick up skills that you'll use in the real world. And of course, the knowledge you learn along the way to passing paces helps you manage these patients correctly when you admit them to hospital. And number 10 is my final thing I learned from sitting paces. This is the bit where I think we all just deserve a bit of self-congratulation, which is you deserve a reward just for sitting. Regardless of whether you pass or fail, give yourself an opportunity to relax until you find out your results. Don't forget that if your diet of exams is close to the start of the next application window, you can still apply and pay for the next diet to ensure you get a place. And if you end up passing your initial attempt, the Royal College will automatically refund you the fee you paid for the provisional reset But the important thing is that you take some time out to relax and recharge after spending so much energy on preparing and your intense revision prior to exam day. Going back to one of the points I made earlier, you don't want to burn yourself out or get stressed about the exam after it's finished. So it's definitely worth treating yourself. Have something fun to look forward to for when the exam is finished. Treat yourself guys, because at this point, you deserve it for working so hard over weeks in preparation for this exam. So guys, that was my first experience of riding solo and giving you 10 things I learned from sitting paces with a few suggestions of how you can change your own revision practices. Hopefully those will come in handy as you progress through your revision journey on the way to passing paces. We are always open to having suggested topics for future episodes so we can bring you the exact type of content you want us to cover. If you have any other points, questions, concerns, worries anything else about this episode or to do with paces please do get in touch with the show on twitter and instagram it's at pre paces podcast and on email it's pre podcast at gmail.com don't forget to like follow and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts we really hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next time on the pre paces podcast